Fear the Walking Dead, the podcast, an unofficial discussion of the news and events surrounding Fear the Walking Dead with Quinn Warner, Stephen Payne, and Bruce McGee. I'm Bruce McGee. And I'm Steve Payne. And this is Fear the Walking Dead, a podcast, um, episode, uh, what is the series, episode, season two, episode ten, Do Not Disturb. Um, and, you know, a lot of it takes place in a um, in a hotel, so that's why we don't want to disturb them. <laughs> and um, what do you think of this week's episode? I like this. Um, How'd you like for, the opening? Well, yeah, I was about to say for various reasons. I wrote all this stuff down into the phone, but um, I thought that was really effective to open with that wedding. Yes, it's a flashback, which you get occasionally. Oh. And, uh, this wasn't a whole, ep- you know, this is like a three-minute flashback, something like that, right at the beginning of the show. Right, and it spinning a whole episode following it, um, to, um, as we as we as we do go go sociological <laughs> uh, many many times in, in most of the episodes, but you know the the wedding functions as so many different things in 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 our society and in Western society in general. So I wrote down. You know, weddings as being a union of two families, a symbol of new beginnings, and an acknowledgement of the importance of community, and also a reaffirmation of society's values. And then when Dad suddenly dies and bites off the bride's face, it undermines all those things. Right, yeah, every every bit of it, yeah. It goes right down the tubes. I wonder if we're going to have some recurring characters out of that group. You know, what, what I notice is this is a... Kind of a <clears throat> warfare between the one uh, percent and the people who have to wait on them. Mm-hmm. Um, like you remember, four years ago, Mitt Romney's campaign was totally derailed right. by that one guy, <clears throat> invisible person. I don't think we ever found out who took the video, did we? No, they, yeah, they did. I mean, he, yeah, did? he was, yeah, because he, he finally he, came out. He came out, but then he also wound up. I think he broke it to. President Carter's grandson or right, grandson, right. but it because Chris, Chris Carter maybe I just I remember that they wound up uh, making it available to Mother Jones before it was over with. That was who actually put it out there. You know, they they I don't know if they premiered on their website or on on TV first or what, but it's I know it got made available to Mother Jones magazine. Well, and then it got twenty four hour play on all the news channels, and you kept hearing Mittens talk about the forty seven percent that don't mm-hmm. thing and. Um, and of course, and it played to the whole idea of the moochers and losers business that they. Well, it, you know, it was the idea. On. It was the idea of this insider group, how they talk behind closed doors. But right. Of course, the doors are never really closed. You always have this underclass of worker bees that take care of these drones. You know, mm-hmm. uh, bring me a drink. I need another refill on my plate. You know, Kill me a grape, and, uh, and <laughs> it's it's like the old howls off of Gilligan's Island, you know, Thurston and Lovey. It's yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, Except that they're played for they're played for laughs, and they're essentially lovable, but they're just out of touch. But these, right. these people are not; they're pretty unlovable. Yeah, because you know most of us are invisible to them, and all of a sudden these invisible people are locking them in. Uh, 
But then at least the mother survived, the bride's mother, and she's an actress that's been on some stuff from um, Ms. Doe in this, you know, she was in this show. But, um, oh, so you recognized her from some other yeah, programs? Yeah, she or? was uh, Bobby Ewing's wife in the reboot of um, uh, Dallas a couple okay. years ago. Okay. So, not a super major star, but enough that... She's recognizable. Yeah, and why would we bring her on the show if we're not going to keep her around for a little while? And they have done that on Walking Dead before. They've uh, brought people on and immediately killed them off. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but this time... Um, As though to say that life in the zombie apocalypse is, is precarious indeed. Yeah, yeah. You get somebody that's... Um, you know, recognizable, and you think they may be there a while, and then they're gone in the very first episode that they're on the show, and um, you get the picture, image that maybe they called up the guy and said, hey, I'd love to get killed on your zombie show, and uh, so it was never supposed to be anything more. But anyway, this one woman of the family, she's of the, you know, Glitterati, she's the one recognizable person, and, and now she's really pissed off and you know, they've got, like, her as one faction and this, this one woman who was, kind of grew up in this hotel and has been serving these people all of her life. Um, she's the other one. Yeah, know? I like that title, too, because I, did, did you stick around for the uh, the Talking Dead afterwards? Yes. After show? And one of the uh, stars was talking about the fact of going to these this is a, a real it's a working hotel that's there in Baja or wherever the place is located and she said that there was a whole culture of the people who had worked for a couple you know a few generations around that hotel so the hotel in fact becomes their she didn't describe it this way but it becomes her village yeah and community. the uh, the the creepy uh hall underneath is where people had lived mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know in real life um, you know so what that looks like, like too. living in one of these splendid um, suites. But well, that, now that, never... that looks like the Fritz Lang film Metropolis, where you have the worker bees deep underground, and you have the the so-called beautiful people living above ground. These, oh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, in, in, uh, in you know that's Wells, the modern world that's gone to hell, basically. In Wells, you have the same thing, and eventually the ones that live underground go feral and start eating the ones above ground. So, mm-hmm. you know, the predatory relationship is reversed from the mm-hmm. way it usually is, because usually the the 1% preys on everybody else. Uh, Here the worm turns, or at least in those yeah, cases the worm yeah, turns. Yeah, exactly. And um, so... Um, so anything else about the opening scene before we cut to Chris and his um, Yeah, I like, I wrote this here, contrast of hotel and its population of zombies with the village, which is trying to rebuild and reestablish civilization. They're inverses of each other. And, yeah, and I think it's almost like we were talking about last week. Um, you know, if somebody's going to be able to survive more or less intact, it would seem to be one of those villages where, mm-hmm. in theory, they could dig a well. I don't know why they haven't. Um, but you grow your food, you have uh, uh, water. Uh, it was a simpler life to start with. Whereas they seem hotels, to have some sort of power source, too, like electricity, maybe from water, or maybe maybe from you know some fuel source. A generator or something mm-hmm. like that. Um there's a hotel, you know, one of these high-rise hotels is kind of a sealed-in world. And 
they go downhill really fast. Oh, yeah. Not that much food. There's not there's some water. At least you took a shower last week, but when that's gone, what are you going to do then? Yeah, it's not the place you want to be. <laughs> it is not the place you want to be. You want to be on Green Acres. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, really, if you look at the um, Depression, my two ancestral families, the McGee's and the Spells, survived fairly well because they had some land that they mm-hmm. owe money on and they grew stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and you didn't go hungry. Um, and there were people- that was mine. That, well, and and on top of that, you had with my both my grandparents had jobs. You know, my granddad was a farmer and a mail carrier and postmaster. All you know, really all three. And then my mom's dad was a logger, so they both well, had yeah. My, jobs my to grandfather both worked off the farm to raise cash because mm-hmm. you know you still need cash for some stuff, but. The wine and the kids, what were they doing? They were milking cows. They were growing vegetables. They were working on crops, uh, stuff like that. That um, You know, you could get by, in theory, without the money if you had to mm-hmm. um, because they were rather subsistent. You know, they, they could subs- – and if you look at American culture, fast forward to the 2000 uh, – Teens, um, that's all gone. Right. Um, you know, everybody's moved to the city. You have a few farmers, but you don't have vast amounts of Americans' population that can right. just grow their this own. Is, this food. society, this society is uh, is substantively different. <laughs> it's not that society anymore. And, and most and, people with you know yards don't know how to grow vegetables to sustain no, they, they can't. And it, go, it goes with the, the preppers again. The fact of the matter is that those people probably wouldn't make it either because other, essentially if it were, if it came down to some sort of apocalypse, what would happen is the the rule of the jungle would take over, might would make right, and those people probably be, would be killed for their food, for their supplies right. in general, not just their food, but any kind of supplies they've got, everything from you know, fuel to, uh, like you said, generators, just anything that they've got. Um, well, and the thesis of the two shows is that gangs would make your best chance of survival, you know, rather mm-hmm. ruthless gangs. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we get to see one of these kind of in its infancy during this episode. Mm-hmm. If you want to fast forward to uh, Chris and the bros, yeah, yeah. Let me pull that up. Yeah, that was pretty bizarre. Um, they go into that taqueria, taqueria, but the the Mexican fast food place is essentially the mini mart. Yeah, and they. Uh, I was really struck by Chris is going in there. He's. I don't know. Are you struck by this? It seems that the the apocalypse really heightens a person's senses, right? In, in, in the sense that everywhere you go, really, you got like a spidey sense or a radar that you're always kind of on alert. I mean, it well, has the to ones be a, that survive have it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's you kind of think about all of us. You know, the six and a half billion or whatever it is people on the face of the earth. We're we are their survivors. We're the people that made it when these you know. These proto hominids were, you know, coming out of Northeast Africa. But we've gotten soft, you know. We live in oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. civilized. Um, oh yeah. And so um, this idea of, um, you know, who's going to survive? It'll have to be the people who 
can heighten their senses and become aware of their surroundings. That's the whole thing. You know, the bride <clears throat> bending over her dear old dad until he chews her face off, you know. <laughs> and, um, and he went quick, too, because he, he, did he have a heart, heart attack? attack. Yeah. yeah, that's what they said. So he must have ingested the or taken in the the virus or whatever the thing is. Well, yeah, what they say is everybody, when the virus, by the time people start dying, it's rather endemic. I'm sure there are a few pockets where people were not infected, like Mm -hmm. the South Pacific Islands or something. But uh, if you have the virus in you latent, even if you have no symptoms, like Zika, you know, that when you die, you come back as a zombie, even if you weren't killed by a zombie. I'm still wondering, here or in the other series, whether, and I keep looking for this to happen, if they find people who may die and they just die. In other words, that they either weren't exposed to it in the first place or they had immunity. And there's bound to be somebody like that. Well, that's supposedly the... Uh, um, not physicist, uh, pharmacist. The pharmacist, <laughs> yeah, Alejandro, you know, he's or whatever the one with is. the story that he had the bite and survived, and we'll see if that holds up over time. Um, but it would make sense that there would be some human with some resistance to this virus. There almost always is. You remember in the similar thing in the Omega Man, the old Charlton Heston knockoff of I Am Legend. You know, he was the one with the. Uh, the immunity? Well, and in fact, it's, it's eerily similar to this. It may be a precursor to this narrative where you have, I think, a bio-war, or it's a war between Russia and China, who were not really big buddies during the Cold War. I mean, these, right. These were, these were, were kind of triangulated China right. Russia. And and he, I, I, can't, I don't recall all the details of the Omega Man, but I think he had this serum and he, he dosed himself with it, and he was able to survive it, and it did work. Um, and then you have the really hokey scene at the end where he dies, and he's you know the Christ on the cross sort of imagery. At the, you know he dies in the fountain, and his blood's pouring out and all that. When you have Will Smith reprising the role. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that was radically different too in the end because he does find a, and in fact the lost race. You know he finds that that city that's walled off, and it's somehow been able to survive it. Uh, but but you know you, you would think again that that somebody's got some immunity or just was never exposed, one of the two. So uh, let's talk some more about the bros. <laughs> the Americans. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, like, um, you know, Chris has, his dad's strategy is to get Chris by himself and kind of, I guess, raise him in the apocalypse, but instill these traditional values. Right, hold on to his values, yeah. Yeah, hold on to my, my values, because... He's from a traditional culture where they've done that, but Chris was already not particularly attracted to that way of life. Like, Dad wants to go up on a hill somewhere and run a farm, Um, you know, find an abandoned farm and move in. And kind of the model we were talking about earlier, our our own grandparents. I wonder if that goes back... um, you know, Cliff yeah. Curtis, the actor, the father there, Travis, whatever his name is, you know, he is, what is he, Maori, I think? Yeah, you know, yeah. Ethnically, and so... And the character is, too. They, uh, well, and I see, think he was a, at first supposed to be Hispanic, and he got so much attention, they just said, oh, well, let's just make yeah, it right his, well, Yeah, write his own real ethnicity into the narrative, and, and I'm wondering right. from that, there is a... Is he from New Zealand, is that right? Yeah. 
So, you know, there is a lot of farming in New Zealand, you know, particularly a lot of sheep farming. So I'm wondering if they're kind of hearkening back to that, if that's what his character wants to do. Is, you know, well, and, you know, his people were traditional, you know, sort of subsistence, subsistence farmers. Subsistence and probably fishermen and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wants to... Try to recapture that. or Right, and Chris is like, no, man, got to go to the city, got to, you know, get a little... Um, well, that that brings up an interesting question. Then, does he want to recapture it or, or retreat into it? Yeah, yeah. Has he really processed the zombie apocalypse yet? And um, so these three guys, well, they're in the little mini mart when Chris goes in there, and he saves one of them by killing a couple of the walkers. Mm-hmm. Um, what did they call them? The oh the. Yeah, the wasted. Yeah. Yeah, because they thought they were wasted on drugs at first. You know, bath yeah. salts, dude. Um, <laughs> so they're kind of impressed with Chris. And somebody pointed out in uh, the uh, Talking Dead that this is the first time anybody has ever praised Chris for anything right. that we've seen on this whole series. You know, it's always, uh, Chris, you're you're being creepy. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I like his, I like Travis's line. Um, this is after where well, we had the bonding moment in the car where right, Travis and right. Chris are, you know, trying to, you know, become father and son, and that, and that was actually kind of, kind of touching in its way. You know, they're trying to kind of come together and have a meeting of the minds and so forth and so on. We cut away to Alicia in the hotel, and as I wrote here, zombies, you know, she's still trapped in the hotel. It was a zombie snarl outside in the hall, you know. Yeah, but I then, get, definitely want to get to Alicia later. But, yeah, I want to come back to that. But I, I, I love this line about Travis and Chris. Travis says, quote, I don't believe this is the end. I can't. I won't. Right. He believes we'll get back to some kind of normalcy. Right. And Chris rather instinctively understands this is the new normal. And these are the guys, right? Um, well, and you know, look at what the writers are doing there structurally uh, to build the narrative. It makes you come back week after week. They are very, very skilled at, you know, putting out just enough information that this is the new normal, but maybe something could change. You know, who knows? I mean, they're they're really effective at that. You know, that's the the best kind of writers. It's, this looks like old fashioned Victorian serialized fiction, like Dickens. Where they would, you know, print so many chapters of his latest novel, like right. House. You just print four or five chapters in it in the newspapers or magazines of the time, however they printed the things, and then they would print. Or, more. or in Dickens' case, maybe just one paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you get the point. They were. He, a long but he was he was really skilled at that kind of story building and that kind of world building. Really, is what's you know going on. And these people are doing the same thing. This is serialized fiction. Yeah. And it's taking place in real time, more or less. Well, you know? and I think that's why TV is going through such a renaissance you now mm-hmm. compared to movies that mm-hmm. you can unpack stuff. And they're doing that with several series like uh, Twelve Monkeys, right? Um, you know, or the original thing was a two-hour movie, and you can only go into so much depth. But, right, right. Um, you know, as long as you aren't in a situation where you get stuck, like. Um, they're going to be rebuilding civilization for the rest of their lives. So uh, this has kind of an open-ended, mm-hmm. even if they found a, um, a cure, which there's no sign of that happening, they still have to deal with the aftermath of the collapse of civilization. Right. That can take, like uh, the last ship, you know, the, the end of the first season, 
they found a, a cure for the zombie for the, uh, the deadly flu that was taking out like 90% of everybody that was in the population. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they're trying to rebuild civilization. And so uh, mm-hmm. as soon as people have their immunity, um, they start acting like assholes again. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's almost like, yeah, the, the equilibrium has been reached. And so now, <laughs> so society now they're is... trying to rebuild society. You know, mm-hmm. So it's about that rather than the flu itself. Mm-hmm. And um, right now we're still dealing with the initial outbreak. Uh, but even after that, civilization has collapsed. This is it's it's it it all implies a cyclical kind of development of civilizations. Right. Uh which is a very forward and then you go back. Yeah, that's that's the that is the basis of Canical for Leibowitz, one of the great science fiction post apocalyptic classics and, and essentially civilization is cyclical, at least that's his view. Well and, and if you look at our tradition, you know, we are the children of the West. <clears throat> you and I, uh for the most part. And um you know, the West has had one great civilization in its background, and that's Rome. And people popularly call the period that follows the collapse of Rome the Dark Ages. And so, um, you know, that didn't happen in Egypt. Uh, that didn't happen in, you know, you would have one civilization replace another. The Egyptians were replaced by the Greeks, who were replaced by the Romans. And, at all of these levels, there's another high-level civilization coming in, and they aren't ending civilization. They said, let's build a great city and then put a world's foremost library in it. Well, that's not like the zombie apocalypse, but we can kind of see it mm. in our own. You know, these are all, I think, uh, allegories for the collapse right. of but, yeah. And, and it's hit it's hit all the world at once, which didn't happen with Rome, where it just affected right. the, the Mediterranean basin. Yeah, right, just a, right. yeah. Well, and 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 even you see various other civilizations here in our part of the world, in North and South America, where you know, the Western Hemisphere, where you've seen various native, you know, indigenous civilizations rise, like the Inca, and they fall down in Peru. Well, and I mean, Maya fall all at once. No, it was, a, it was a wave of it. A thousand yeah. years, you know, it was fourteen fifty-three, right? Yeah, the, when Constantinople uh, falls to the Turks, right. yeah. And again, high-level civilization comes in and continues to do great stuff. So specific to us is this idea of the collapse of civilization that it will go and nothing will replace it for possibly hundreds of years. Um, That's when in Canical it opens like that, and and you have you know about. Three or four hundred years, I think, after the after the nuclear holocaust, and right. the world is wasted. And then it, and it takes place at different periods of time, where you even when you move fi- fast forward past that, it's a period that looks roughly like the 16th and 17th centuries. And they've got firearms again, and they you know they're doing they're 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 starting to fiddle with early printed books. So again, it's looking like you know the beginnings. Well, I, I wouldn't say the beginning of the Renaissance, since that starts really in the Say the 14th century, but you, you know, you've got something again about like the 16th century. You know, well, and, um, back to the dudes. Um, you know, they see Chris, and he just kind of is there and gone, and he took our beans. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Chris is really nervous that they're going to want revenge. And in The Walking Dead, where we are now, you know, the original series. They well might have come after him. You know, we're going to kill you, but people aren't that hardened yet. 
It's right. basically bros, right? We're going to kill you for beans, dude. <laughs> and, and isn't that ironic? Because, yeah, they're they're fighting over a can of damn processed beans, right? That's well, when you're <laughs> hungry, I'd fight over them, too. Um, well, and that's, that, yeah, exactly. Well, and we're we're going towards that atavism again, which from what you say in The the Walking Dead, that's the whole nature of that thing, it's that reversion to savagery. But when they throw in together, they mm-hmm. start learning from each other, like... Um, right. The the bros have worked out that if you're going to camp out with the fire, you need to put some strings up and hang some cans from it. And then if a if a what do they call them again, wasted comes the up. wasted right. It, it's yeah. like a warning system. It's a crude right. warning system. And they're headed back to the United States. And uh, Chris and his dad said, "Well, we were just there. We saw it burning, San Diego. You know, it's gone." Uh, basically, the whole West Coast to the Rockies is has been bombed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and when you did you get this as I did and as Travis did, this air of menace sort of hovers around those guys when they well, come yeah. on the scene. I mean, it's um, and again, it 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 looks like what I would imagine the Black Plague would have looked like if you've got strangers that wander into your town and the town's been decimated by the bubonic plague and suddenly these strangers come wandering in, you're going to be wondering, you know, are they... Or, in our case, the Old West, where, mm-hmm. you know, you've got people out on the frontier that are meeting up with other people out on the frontier and you don't know whether you can trust them or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so, and I think Chris is much more attracted to them than they're his age. They share mm-hmm. his values. I see him as almost like a kid growing up and trying to get in a gang, and you have to do something to make your bones. You know, right, uh, right. Well, because a gang is a surrogate family. I mean, we, you know, too many sociological yeah. studies have shown that it's. It is and you have to be you... initiated into mm-hmm. that. And for Chris, that's when he kills that farmer. Right. Um, you remember they they go to the Mexican farm and mm-hmm. there's that guy there and he's angry because they're trying to eat his chickens. And, mm-hmm. uh, if it had just been Chris and his dad, I don't think they would have had a problem. His dad would have apologized and mm-hmm. they might have even wound up staying there and helping. But of course, Chris is it's like an angel and a devil on each shoulder, you know. And, yeah, and, um, and 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 I like how they they grounded that. Right in a time period, you saw those dates, those people's death dates, and they were all showing 2010. Yeah, and they got a close up on that on those headstones. So, uh, 2010 is when the zombie apocalypse came. Mm-hmm. I think it was 2012 last season. Wasn't that the most recent date? You mean for you the know, other series, a, or yeah, when the series started? So maybe these people didn't die of the this. This brings apocalypse. up. That that brings up an interesting question. It's about the 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 use of time and these things, and also the character's perception of time. You know, right. How would time be perceived in the apocalypse? And in Canical, and it probably would be like this here too. In Canical, they start redating history from a new you know a new nomenclature, a new count you know a new chronological system. They have to, and it's all dated from the time of the deluge. I think they call it the deluge, but it's for them, right. it's, it's a firestorm that follows all the nuclear war. So right. here it would be the plague, you know, if, if civilization yeah. somehow does survive and then begin to rebuild, actually, which is even a different thing, they would have to be dating probably from the time of that plague, in other words, from 2010. So um, let's go to the key war. Uh, 
Um, and, you know, the emergence of uh, the Queen of the Tree Crew, which is Alicia's former role on um, the 100, because, I've always, you know, I've said since the beginning, she's got the ability to play badass in her. <laughs> this may be the first episode where we started to see some of that, right? Mm. Yeah, she has mentioned that about jumping into the elevator shaft. Well, even before that, she's and, counting the zombies in the hall. Yeah, and, and marking and them off. Yeah, she's making those hash marks on the door. She's working that butterfly knife so she gets real comfortable with it. And then, you know, after her shower, she pulls her hair back into a ponytail so that the zombies can't grab it. So she's starting to think like a survivor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and and I, I got a kick out of that. <laughs> I guess it was their attempt at humor when she was looking through the the peephole and the zombie snarl at her. Right, <laughs> that was pretty hilarious, actually. <laughs> well, I find it more startling than funny. But, you know. <laughs> Just, <laughs> it's very to me. It was very gallows humor, but right. But uh, but, but you know, then, uh, the, um, you know, again, you have to make these decisions really fast. The right. woman that has been a worker there recognizes in Alicia something that makes her reach out mm-hmm. literally into the elevator well and pull her to safety. Um, I could just see her trying to ride the cables down before the zombies went over into the shaft. And, you yeah, know, but fell. that was the problem. The zombies were always going to go into the shaft. Well, uh, they were. But, I mean, think about putting your hands over that and trying to ride it down. It would eat your hand. I mean, it burned through your hands right. because of the friction. The friction heat mm-hmm. would burn you up. Yeah, I've I've read thrill sequences like that in, you know, adventure fiction particularly, and you'll have somebody jump into a shaft like that, and they'll try to escape some sort of pursuer or murderer, whoever it is, and it's... You would need heavy, heavy gloves to... Well, I've I've seen it one one story, a guy ripped his, um, he ripped his uh, coat off. Yeah, and he wrapped that around it, and that that lasted a, a while, you know. But you couldn't do that forever because again, the, the friction heat would. She doesn't have very far to go to the actual mm-hmm. elevator, but there's the thing, you know. Unless she could close the doors behind her, those zombies are going to be walking off into the into the elevator. I was thinking more that she might hang there until they all fell into the shaft, and then she could get back out onto the floor. Yeah. Uh, but they chose to reintroduce that uh, head of. You housekeeping know, or whatever she was. Right. Or, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't and figure so it out. So they're having a war of keys because she's got the keys to every place in the building and the guests want them, you know, and <laughs> they're the ones the sinners, naturally, so they deserve them. Um, and uh, so they're pissed off that she locked them in a the room and left them to die. <laughs> well, and that, that points up the, the, you know, what we take for granted in, in our culture today, whatever that might be, it's usually money. But they're going to they're going to you know discard money very quickly and go to a barter economy and there are other things that are going to be a lot more important to them like in this case this key you know right. fighting over just a little a key is nothing but a little piece of metal with teeth on it that's all it but is it allows you to herd zombies right um, exactly you know there's a point where they want to go down the stairs so Alicia and the do you remember the woman's name the head of the housekeeping uh, let's see if I've written it down here Elena. Okay, it's Helen. Elena. It's Helen, uh, <laughs> but it's Elena. You know, they yeah. want to lead them in one room and then hop out. Alicia's going to hop out on the um, uh, balcony, you know, while she's going to close the window and try to, um, I mean, close the glass door 
and try to get off the balcony before they break through. And that's a huge act of trust on her part. Well, yeah, you, you see how there. it's symbolized at a couple of points. Well, one point, and maybe maybe the point you're talking about, too, I'll have to go back and see the, the actual sequence there. When she, Elena reaches her hand out to her, and she mm-hmm. pulls her in, and you get that right. quick image of those clas- clasped hands. Right. Did you, did you get that because, again? Right. It becomes metaphorical. It has, yes. Yeah, it, it it made me think of um of the clasped hands in uh, Paradise Lost, where Milton when Milton depicts Adam and Eve with their hands clasped, that's when they're that's when they're good to go. In other words, they're 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 united, they're they're bonded, uh, they are as one. But when the well, and Elena are, throws a bedsheet around to Alicia, mm-hmm. and then once again they have to join. Mm-hmm. It's a polar end. So right? it's a very symbolic moment, I think, don't right. you? Oh yeah, absolutely. No, you because know, the, the class fans symbol they symbolize community. I think they're doing in a positive way what Chris and the dudes are doing in a more ominous way, which is forming a new team. You know, right. we don't really know each other, but we've got to depend on each other, or we'll both die. Right. Right. Uh, what did you think about Alicia and Helena in the hotel room and they're discussing the woman's nephew, Hector? Yeah, um, they got Hector back, didn't they? They did, yeah. He was, uh, you know, because he could be captured by the guests or he could be another walker at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, what did she say about Hector? Uh, I don't remember that. I wrote down something here, but it's just a, it's a famous proverb. But it made me think about all this. I wrote down that famous proverb: necessity is the mother of invention. But I would right. argue too, it's also the mother of survival, because they're trying to survive. That's all they're right. trying to do is, is make it to, through. To, not even the next day; it's the next minute. Well, and for them, they're also trying to reunite with their lost um, family members. You know, mm-hmm. because. Um, Alicia has her mom, Madison, to get back to. She's got that, that's, to that's what, that's what makes this a, that's what makes this an exile return narrative. If you think about it, you know, the, when you study narr- narrative theory and narratology, <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, it's also the quest narrative. They're on this journey or this this trip, so it's combining elements of both. But here, it's very nakedly the exile return narrative, and they're trying to, you know, they've been cast out, so to speak, and they're trying to get reunited. Well, that's. Well, and for Elena, it's the return to the scene of the crime because they wind up back in that mm-hmm. wedding uh, room, reception room, where the, and she's saying, oh, the dad died. He bit off his daughter's face. And then that, then we locked them in. Uh, you know, rather than getting all the healthy people out, you know, just locked them all in there. Um, and she feels horrible. You know, she's a decent person, so... She feels terrible guilt about all the deaths that are on her hands. She saw it as, I'm trying to contain the contagion. She didn't know that everybody was infected at that point. I like, um, since we're talking about Alicia and Helena, or Elena, um, they're cutting back the... um, the screenwriters are cutting away, you know, go, they're going back and forth between the different branches of the family, how they're right. reacting to these situations. Juxtapose, yeah, I, I don't think we saw Ophelia at all this week, did we? Mm, I don't so somewhere in the tower. Yeah, she's somewhere. Yeah, because, you know, Alicia comes out of the room screaming her name, doesn't she, at one point? Right, right. She's calling um, her, but she's not answering. 
And but, so we look at how she's reacting. I wrote this down about the bros again, the, the so-called Americans. <laughs> I love that line where the one character said, we were nothing before this, but now you know, he said something else. And then he ends by saying the end times made us gods. Well, that's like, uh, in a weird way, like Daryl and Merle uh, in the original series, because uh, except that they're, um, you know, Georgia backwoods kind of guys that everybody looks down on as quite trash, but hey, they know how to hunt possum. They know mm-hmm. how to once they find it. Um, you know, and um, so they have a skill set. Exactly. And, these guys kind of have a different skill set, but so far it's working for them. <laughs> you reckon a hedge fund manager would make it through the zombie apocalypse? <laughs> well, so far we've got Strand. Yeah, he's uh, the closest thing to it, I guess. Yeah. But he's it's, the guy that clawed his way into the one percent. You know, he didn't inherit it; he got there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the people that are kind of clueless—they're uh, the ones that go quick. And uh, somehow the bros have managed to step ahead. But I do think they're going in a very dangerous direction. You know, mm-hmm. um, they're—I think the value system they share is much more nihilistic. Um, right. Right. You know, you don't get the feeling any of them feel guilt about any of the people they killed. It's just, yeah, it, it, it is a, kind of a sociopathic sort of mindset. Right. You, you yeah. know, killers don't really kill without a conscience. And it's and certainly their starting place would have been like spring break um, entitlement. Like um, Yeah, did you think of like a bunch of frat boys or something? Yeah, like that? That's what I was thinking. Absolutely. And they have that like, uh, okay, we can go into this country and do whatever we want to and there's a guy on the farm. We can kill him and take his stuff because you know, we're Americans. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll go down to to Rio during the Olympics and I'll fake a robbery. <laughs> right, do whatever. Um, yeah, it's it really they really have their pulse on the facades people put up, you know, to mask the true selves, and then what happens when those, you know, when the when that facade is ripped away or that mask is ripped away because you, because you think about it those guys were always probably like that it's just that the real guys came out don't you and imagine? we've seen yeah we've seen some of these people in walking dead further evolved in a negative you know one of them is merely engaged in cannibalism you know but he's still a dude uh <laughs> it's really uh jarring mm-hmm. um it's almost more acceptable when it's somebody that was rough to start with. Like, we were always outlaws, and now we're surviving by being outlaws. Mm-hmm. Um, at least their demeanor matches what they're doing. Or this other guy's like, you know, we weren't always this way, but that's what we have to do. <laughs> so, Chris... Do you get the feeling the watching that, this... This, this is the first... I was just going to say, this is the first week I've noticed this, or maybe it just really underscored it for me. Watching this is almost like watching this really off-kilter Western. Yeah. Well, especially, right, uh, this series has a lot more of the Wild West motif. Although, one of the emblems of the uh, the first series is uh, Rick's cowboy slash sheriff's hat, you know. And, oh. Uh, but it's a symbol of order in that one. That's right, and, uh, right. He's kind of the Matt Matt Dillon for the apocalypse, I suppose. Yeah, and there's, I guess, 
um, Travis is trying to do that, but he's not having any luck because he's lost everybody else. Now Chris is pulling away from him and choosing the guys. Yeah, everybody died in 2010, so either either um, they all died from something else or this is the year of the fire. It started down here earlier, but mm-hmm. it seems to have been more quickly spreading. Anyway, um, Chris has kind of made, you know, he's the one that kills the farmer rather than one of the three bros, and now the, the bros are impressed with him. You know, it's mm-hmm. like the new kid had to do something. Like they say, you've got to make your bones somehow. Well, he's, he's, a, made, he's a made man. It's like a yeah. really low-rent mafia where you right. to be a made man, you have to be a killer. Right. You have to kill somebody and show that, mm-hmm. you know, You've got the ability to quilt your conscience. And, well, yeah, exactly. It becomes, <laughs> this is a grim way to put it, but it's like we just kill somebody and go have a plate of pasta. Right. <laughs> and talk about the recipe. Exactly, exactly. But that was really good marinara sauce or whatever. <laughs> That's it. This is a kid. You don't know when you're going to have to feed 50 men. Or, Come in. Or, or in their case, it's good beans. Right. Well, they weren't good beings, but they'll you survive. <laughs> so, um, Chris does something horrible to join his gang, but, you know, arguably, I know we get a different feel from it, but if you look objectively, look at what Alicia does to the guests when they get Hector back. Because mm-hmm. uh, isn't it Alicia that opens the door and lets the zombies attack the guests? That was really pretty pretty wild. And she goes in there. This is was this this week? She saw the the blonde woman and she mistakes the blonde for right. The blonde woman looks like uh, Madison. Yeah, almost uh, Madison. Right. <laughs> zombie or, Madison. Or, yeah, or near Madison. <laughs> her zombie twin. Uh, and then she turns around and it's not her mother, and then she waits her, which is pretty pretty funny. There, there's a, a sick kind of gratification you get, I guess, when these people kill those zombies in a way. And you can see how people would start doing it for sport, like the like the survivalists did last week when they right. you know, then met a little poetic justice. Well, and I mean, any sometimes they'll let one go, but any time you do that, you risk them coming back and biting you later, so it mm-hmm. seems just an act of good citizenship to clear them out at this point. But yeah, we find out that the, um, going back to Alicia and Elena, um, which I think is getting close to the end, uh, they have the showdown with the guests, and the mom is really pissed off, but in fact, the dad and the bride were dead, dead before the mom even knew something was wrong, right? Maybe mm-hmm. probably wasn't dead, but she had half her face chewed off, and she was going to die soon. Um, but she's still resentful because this woman, who was supposed to be her helper, locked her in, um, which shows how quickly the the 99% can turn on <laughs> circumstances warrant. Yeah. Yeah, It's again, it's the real person is coming out. Because of the crisis, you have to wonder. There's some su- some studies that have, along this line where people that are drawn together by, particularly in romantic relationships, they're drawn together in a crisis. That a lot of times those those um, those relationships right. don't they don't weather the storm. 
Right. You know, the person, the, the, the relationship winds up petering out, you know, down the road somewhere. And, and you have to, I have to wonder at least, I'm sure other viewers have to wonder how many of these relationships are going to last. Yeah. Even the friendships. I'm not even talking about romantic entanglements, just friendships right. with people. How, what, what's going to last and what's what's not going to last. And um, The other thing, um, you know, there's this kind of parallel development, it occurred to me, between Alicia and Chris in their separate situations. You know, they're mm-hmm. both making new friends this weekend. They're both acting against other healthy humans as opposed to learning how to kill a walker. And that's a big line. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Chris shoots, um, after the farmer shoots one of the bros, Chris shoots the farmer, and then Alicia releases the the zombies as a weapon against the other, against the guests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, talk about maturation, right? Because they're, they're both right. they're both teenagers. This is a heck of a way to grow up. Yeah, and there seems to be more of that in this show than in Walking Dead. They don't. They have some teenagers come along at some point, although. You check the actor's age; they're all in their thirties. Uh. I'm wondering. And, well, that that brings up a good question. Then, who is the audience for this show, as compared to the parent program? In other words, is it the same audience, or is it slightly different? You know, demographic. I think they're trying to get that Walking Dead audience. Maybe this one's cast a little younger. See, that's what I was wondering because you exactly you got these younger people, uh, lots lots more younger people from what you're saying. You know, but it may be that you already had that audience, Um, and you know, you've got Carl hitting teenage years now. Um, In the original series, right? You know, he started; he was a kid, and of course, that's where your chronology really hits the wall. Probably like a year later, and he's three feet taller, and his voice has changed. You know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's you have to wonder who that demographic is, and will they continue to play to that demographic, or will they change it? You know, will, right. will the show will the show grow up along with its audience? I mean, these these things I would predict it will in the sense that these shows are moving in, in real time. You know, there there is a chronology, there's a continuity from episode to episode. It's not like we've talked about these old fashioned series in the '60s and '70s where they're just a string of one offs, and you do occasionally right. have the two and three parter. But a lot of those shows didn't have. I mean, they did have continuity insofar as you had the same characters that appeared from episode to episode. But you might have somebody shot up in episode. One on you know one 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 week of that month and the next week they're okay. <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. Like I wonder what's going to happen to the third bro, the one that got shot. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily a fatal wound, but mm-hmm. every wound can be fatal in the you know if you don't have somebody to remove a bullet and if you don't have antibiotics, it could be that the next episode is when he turns as well. Has anybody was this the the the, the um, you said that they, they they did establish that a virus caused this thing? Has anybody ever isolated that virus in the original series, or was that yes. when the yes, the, that, when remember the, the trip to the uh, and the CDC blew up? Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, they've actually mapped your brain as it turns. Like uh, you know, you can watch your brain die and then come back. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so they had actually gone that far in that research. Yeah, but you know, then the then everybody was dead down there, and there was only one guy left, and he ran out of power. So 
unless there's some other place up and running. But, you know, the place we think of is this, you know, the place to go, which is the CDC in Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, Atlanta, they're gone. Uh, it blew up at the beginning, end of the first season. <laughs> That's, um, uh, so I, I keep holding out hope, maybe like Travis, <laughs> that they would find a, you know, well, and even you wonder, too, if, if somebody's got any sort of, uh, they get to a shortwave radio, or if they've got a community where they've got something like the Internet back up and running thanks to generators, and they get in touch with people in another part of the world. Um, because we do know there are survivors. Well, some of the, again, some of the survivors are bound to have some high tech. Right. So can they then, and, I, and I'm making a lot of assumptions here, but it, look, it looks as though somebody would be able to make some sort of contact internationally or even nationally for that matter. Well, and at some point, you figure the, the original zombies would decay to the point that they were no longer a threat. Like, you know, your flesh will, the flesh will eventually uh, go away, and you're just left mm. with bones. And at that point, when it's when it's skeleton, we know they don't have any. The, the zombie part is gone. So, how long will that take? I guess it depends on climate and exposure and stuff like that. But, oh, you know, so the brain is where that's when they always have to do the headshots or whatever. Right. So it's the actual brain when the brain is gone. The zombies gone. And that was, wonder if that something was, like, you know, in the old days, they didn't fight uh, yellow fever with uh, inoculations. They just did it with good old-fashioned um, public safety stuff, like, you know, mm-hmm. public health. We're going to have fresh water. We're going to um, use quarantine. And they keep trying strategies like that, and the strategies keep breaking down because they're overwhelmed, but at some point, most of the zombies will be gone, and it seems like you could rebuild a civilization even without a cure. Um, right. Well, and, and two, and just the first line of defense, if you have a village that does have some power restored, you could, it looks like you could electrify the village and essentially short-circuit the zombies. You know, you hit them with a good enough um, amperage. And it short circuits them. It, it, you would think so. Yeah, it would kill them basically, or that you know fries their brains, so that you don't have to do a, a headshot like shooting them with an arrow or a bullet or something like that. You just electrify them. Right. And that would <laughs> that would literally turn them off. Yeah, you know, this should be some way of, um, or even an anti-zombie virus. Of course, that's back to high tech stuff again, which they seem to have lost. But you know, is there something that will take them out, um, you know, to go ahead and kill them all the way. Um, and so far we don't have anything like that. I'm thinking it would be a great irony if it's something very simple. Right. You know, that we don't kind know like about. like the War of the Worlds, you know, when just simple bacteria wound up killing the uh, invading, you know, that's our best line of defense is a good strong virus. It could be. I mean, who knows? I mean, I I wonder, and I, I go back to this, do they have an end game in mind for the series? You know, the the producers of the original series and also the series. Well, we do, um, you know, because already I think the, the first series has gone past the, um, as far as they've gotten in the books in some ways. Uh, they just got to Megan, 
I think he's been in those a while, but some of the things they do don't jab up. So I don't know, maybe, you know. Uh, eventually, the actor will get tired of being it, and you got to wonder, well, once Rick's gone, um, how is Where does the series go from here? Right. Can they keep the series going without the the core of the core cast? Because they just made a lot of, you know... Well, like, like, well, like the series we otherwise. used to follow, like uh, Fringe. You know, they finally, they had that really abbreviated final, se- what was it, the fifth or sixth season, whatever, but it was very abbreviated. What, and they what had, series? Was it Fringe. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they had yeah, to they wrap had everything up series. and just, was it like a two-hour-long special event? But anyhow... No, no, they you know. had like 10 episodes instead of 20. So, right. I mean, I think Fringe could have been a candidate for one of these, you know, series that are shorter by design. Yeah. Um, the British have been know. experimenting with that kind of form. You know, over in the U.K., they have these, they, they've planned them out with a <laughs> short-run series, and they're going to run, say, three years or four years. So, you know, Friends, you have 20, 22 episodes every, the first four seasons, but maybe 10 of those episodes had to do with that season's arc. So, mm-hmm. you know, they could have skipped all the other stuff and just focused on the arc more. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it'll be a different series. But I think you could, you know, theoretically make a go of it. Well, well they've been do- that's why I'm wondering if this thing is going to do something like that, but who knows. Well, I see we've been going for about an hour. Do you have any last thoughts? Yeah, I wrote the term. Excuse me, the term down, uh, Luddite. Ha. And I think that's something to consider exploring with you when you have well, like these, the Alejandro group that seems suspiciously to be like a cult. Right. And when he's when when the when the actors were kind of being a little bit, un, I, th- I think at least, uncritical about the development of that thing. It's just like you and I have talked. It's That's a creepy idea. The whole the whole idea of a cult just really, oh, yeah. really is pretty scary. But you also saw it earlier with that woman, you know, in the in the house where a Strand's um, companion was living. I guess his, his, the guy's mother or whatever she yeah. was. And she was yeah, essentially they, running they a kind of cult. They seem to be related um, cult you know, spins on mm-hmm. what the Walking Dead writers think of as Mexican culture. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I, so I'm, I'm, so when you get look at the Luddites, you know, people wanting to go back to some simpler way of life or primitive way of life or whatever and destroy all the machines. I mean, you could see that, that is a common trope in most most all apocalyptic fiction. You'll have a version of that come up. Well, it's like our machines have been taken from us. Um, mm-hmm. They aren't actively going out and destroying technology for the most part. Um, but, but you can uh, see the seeds for it there. Right. Because, again, you've got a, a mass crisis. You've got something that's... Well, and a cult is basically mass psychosis. Like mm-hmm. Everybody's sharing the same delusion, and those become very dangerous. Right. They get out of step with the real world, and this is a real. This is a world that if you get out of step with it, you can go really bad really quickly. You know, you're looking at. I go back to the Omega Man, which had, and I am Legend, which had its, um, you know, mutated kind of quasi or, or really proto zombie types. So these, you know, people that they were more vampiric, I suppose. Right. They only came out at night. 
uh, but they were also all infected by a virus. Right, right. And, so, and, and what do they do? And at least in the Heston film, they wind up having black cows on. You recall, and they wind up being a cult, basically. And it looks, yeah, it looks in the very, Will Smith movies, they weren't that intelligent. They were more like zombies. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's less uh, like what would you call it, sentience or whatever. But because um, these, I, I was wondering about these if they seem to be respiring or anything. I'm getting really <laughs> sort of into the granular kind of stuff here, but they. You know, are they taking in oxygen and you know, you know, inspiring oxygen and expiring carbon dioxide and that kind of thing? Right, right. Okay, so um, anyway, what will happen next week? Tune in to find out, <laughs> and then tune back into Fear the Walking Dead a podcast. That's right. For all Fear the Walking Dead a podcast, I'm Bruce McGee. And I'm Steve Payne. We want to thank all of you for tuning in this week. Uh, we sorely do miss uh, Quinn Warner. We hope that she's back with us next week. We also hope that you, all of you will come back and join us for the latest episode of Fear the Walking Dead, a podcast. Bye for now. Bye for now.